Hi, this is Mona, and this is Aaliyah. You are listening to A Devil's Tale. On September seventeenth, twenty fourteen. Xiao, a 20-year-old student at Iowa State University, was reported missing. Nine days later, she'd be found dead with her suspected killer having already fled the country. Xiao was born in 1994 into a middle-class Chinese household. She was an only child, and her mother was a stay-at-home mom while her father worked as an exporter and importer of food. Xiao went to Dailian Yuming, a prestigious high school which is notorious for its top scores in the college admission exams, and is also a training ground for the Olympic Games. Allegedly, Xiao's boyfriend in high school did well enough in the competition and was accepted to the top institution in one of the southern Chinese cities. Unfortunately, Xiao failed the competition and was forced to make a decision about her future. In the end, she chose to study in the United States. In preparation for international education, Xiao went to Beijing in July 2011 to join a TOEFL prep session, the English foreign language exam. There she met Li from Wenzhou, a city in southern China. Li came from a rich family and quickly developed feelings for Xiao. Xiao got admitted as a chemical engineering student at Iowa State University in Amez in the fall of 2012. Her mother and father gathered their life savings to collect more than $100,000 to save for her school. They were overjoyed to send her to college in the United States, and she intended to pay them back one day. They believed she would be secure in Iowa because the state had over 5,000 international Chinese students. Lee was also studying abroad in the United States. He was a student at Rochester Institute of Technology in New York before transferring to Iowa State University to be closer to Xiao. Xiao and her roommate Jean shared an apartment near college in Amez, while Lee resided in Iowa City, more than 100 miles away. Xiao and Lee stayed in touch and continued to socialize. At this point, Lee started to refer to Xiao as his girlfriend, but there are reports that Xiao was actually seeing other guys instead. Xiao and her roommate were friends before roommates, and their last outing together was on a Sunday with 20 other people from their church. They ate stir-fried veggies, fruit salad, grilled meat, and hot dogs, and Xiao delivered frosted cookies. Xiao calmly chewed on her goodies as the others played kickball. I never anticipated that that would be my final memory, Jean, her roommate and friend adds, requesting that just her American name be used for her own safety. We were planning to do it again this year, Jean adds quietly, however it never worked out. Xiao was dubbed Little Sister. She was one of the oldest of the three housemates at the age of 20, but her name remained because of her height at 5'2". Jean disliked Lee. In the summer of 2013, he ended up actually moving into their apartment, and he never asked permission to eat any of their food. So Jean says, we wanted to kick him out, but he refused. And Xiao knew we didn't like him, so she avoided bringing him up in front of us. She never confronted Lee, but she made it clear to Xiao that she thought he was a jerk. Xiao ended up doing an internship in Kentucky in 2014, the summer before her junior year. And while she was there, she purchased a 1997 beige Toyota Camry, and she used that to get around. So what we do know is that on September 3rd, 2014, 
Lee had called Xiao. And annoyingly to Xiao, she accidentally picked up the phone and left the line open for Lee to hear for around 30 minutes. And she was speaking to another friend during that entire time, having a private conversation. So Lee listened to that conversation until the line ended. And immediately after that, he called his friend Karen Yang and told her everything he'd overheard. According to what Yang disclosed to detectives, Lee heard Xiao complaining about him and saying things that were not nice. So that's the direct quote, things that were not nice. Well, I mean, here's the thing. When we get together with our friends, we sometimes complain about our significant others. That's, that's just how things go. And it's not malicious. It's just, you know, especially if you live with somebody, you get frustrated. That's when your friends come through and you're like, let's talk about this. Yeah. So, I mean, it seemed fairly harmless, but to Lee, this was a big deal. So Lee went on to Ren Ren and he posted, fuck my life. And that was the last post that he put on social media. That was September 3rd. So now September 5th, Lee and Xiao traveled up to the Budget Inn in Emez three days after that incident. And Ken Patel, the hotel's owner, recognized them because they'd stayed two previous times during holiday weekends at that same hotel. Patel claims to have seen Xiao enter the lobby by herself the next night. It would be the last time anyone saw her alive besides Lee. On September 7th, Patel said he awoke to find Xiao's beige Toyota Camry, in which the two had driven from Emez, was missing. He subsequently said that this was uncommon because during their prior visits, he had to go to their room because they continually missed the 11 a.m. checkout deadline. So he was surprised to see that they had left on time. Xiao's father texted her from China later that night. He was curious whether she had any luck replacing a pair of her glasses that she'd misplaced a few days before. The text response stated that she had borrowed a pair from a friend. He asked if they could video chat, but she declined since she was too busy at the moment. In retrospect, her father feels that these were sent by Lee. Another text message was sent from Lee's phone to one of Xiao's roommates, supposedly from Xiao. It stated that Lee was returning to China due to an emergency and that Xiao would ride a bus to Minnesota to visit some Chinese friends in the next week. Yang texted Lee the next day to see how things were going with Xiao. He texted, fine for now. Yang texted him again a week later on September 16th, Lee's birthday. He didn't say anything. He was never like that, she subsequently told a Chinese newspaper. He immediately responded to all of her texts. Xiao's roommates began to wonder when she was going to return from Minnesota because they still had not heard from her. They ended up looking her friends up in Minnesota and contacted them through social media. And her friends from Minnesota said that they hadn't seen her. She had never come to Minnesota. That's when her friends became very suspicious. And on September 18th, they reported her missing to the Emez police. On Friday, September 26, 2014, police in Iowa City discovered Xiao's beige Toyota Camry parked in the parking area of Lee's apartment complex along U.S. Highway 6. Officers obtained a warrant to examine the vehicle after detecting the odor of death emanating from the trunk area. 
They discovered the decaying corpse of the five foot two inch missing college student within the trunk of Xiao's car. A 15 pound barbell was next to her body. According to a Dolphin Lake Point Enclave homeowner, that's where Lee lives, the 1997 Toyota with Kentucky plates had been parked there for a few weeks. The blue 2009 BMW of Lee was likewise parked at the Iowa City apartment complex. He, on the other hand, had vanished. He returned to China on September 8th. He'd gotten on the plane in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and had a stopover in Chicago. On September 27, 2014, Iowa City police officers searched his automobile. They discovered Lee's flight details inside the car. Xiao's remains were autopsied in November 2014 by a forensic pathologist from the Johnson County Medical Examiner's Office. However, a representative of the Medical Examiner's Office did not release the postmortem results until January 2015. The autopsy report said that the college student died as a result of asphyxiation and blunt force injuries. The death was declared by the medical examiner as a homicide. Based on what the detectives saw from that is that she likely survived the initial blunt force trauma that she endured and then she suffocated in the trunk because she lost oxygen. The text message from Xiao's smartphone was sent on September 8th from O'Hare International Airport in Chicago, where Lee was stopped on his way home to China, according to murder detectives. Karen Yang, Lee's acquaintance, told police Lee was envious of Xiao's involvement with another guy. This had enraged Lee greatly. The MS Police Department detectives learned that on September 5th, 2014, Lee and Xiao booked into room 218 at the Budget Inn. The next day, hotel surveillance footage showed Xiao walking alone in the lobby, which confirmed what the owner had said. She was also observed driving a gold-colored automobile, so her beige Toyota, in the town of Nevada. Detectives suspected Lee of murdering Xiao in the early morning hours of September 7th at the hotel. Room 218's walls were discolored with splatter and drips of different dry substances. Dried blood was also discovered beneath the bed's headboard by crime scene investigators. On September 26, 2014, after reviewing the dead body, Xiao's corpse, they realized that her head had been wrapped in a towel labeled premium quality, and they ended up seeing that that was the same type of towel that was used at the Budget Inn in Suites. Xiao's father requested that Chinese and American authorities collaborate and share information to assist arrest of Li and put him to trial. In an April 2015 CNN report on the case, he said that the Iowa City Police had informed him a few weeks prior that the Johnson County District Attorney's Office had charged Lee with first-degree murder and issued an arrest warrant. Under Iowa law, prosecutors may keep the existence of a warrant and any associated indictment secret until after the arrest. Cooperation between Chinese and American law enforcement ultimately improved around the same time the Wenzhou Police started watching Lee. While they were occasionally able to track him down, he generally vanished before they could catch up with him, and they didn't have any proof to prosecute him because they were still waiting on information from Iowa. So eventually, that police department flew to Iowa to conduct their own investigation, and then they were able to put Lee onto trial. And then in March 23, 2016, he pled guilty to killing Xiao. And in August, he was sentenced to life in prison. And interestingly, he said he didn't mean to kill her. And that was not his intention. So he was saying it was a crime of passion. 
and that he had booked this ticket to China way before, and it wasn't that he was just trying to flee the country. I don't believe him. I'm very even conflicted on articles that are calling him her boyfriend, because there are a lot of articles that also don't call him her boyfriend. I did see some translated articles, but I didn't like how they were talking about her. They were kind of referring to her as someone who saw a bunch of people and that that would made her less than. I just ignored those because that was like you don't need to talk about her like that. Oh my gosh, she's very pretty. She's very pretty and very. She looks very young. There's also so with that call. It was a guy who she called, and so some things I was seeing were saying that that was a guy she was seeing. And then there is this thing says. So this is a Chinese article that says the roommates don't like Li, like you were saying. And there's this incident where they felt like Li is very controlling because apparently Xiao had this plan to go on like a little spring break trip with Li and all of her friends, but in the midst of it. Li only wants to go with Xiao, and so he said, "I can be in charge of planning the activities." And after that, he didn't call any of the friends and change the plan, and just took Xiao on the trip, so none of the friends could come. That is horrible. That's creepy. Was that to Disney World? It didn't say they. The article just refer it as a trip. I can see why they wouldn't like him. And also, this article says that. Xiao's parents also don't think Li is her boyfriend because <laughs> they said Li has a boyfriend in China. Xiao has a boyfriend in in China. Yeah, sorry, Xiao has a boyfriend in China, and her mom said that in 2011 Li went to Dalian, where Xiao is from, and Xiao was being a good friend and went to the airport and picked them up. And Xiao's mom was there, and they like helped him with his suitcases. See, this is what I don't understand, right? I don't even. I don't think that that's her boyfriend. I just don't think that Li was Xiao's priority. I feel like if they ended up finishing school in America, and they probably would have gone on separate ways anyway. I just feel like he's that guy who's very persistent, who just keeps asking and trying to be there all the time. Doesn't take no for an answer. Yeah, that's just the vibe I get. Because the fact that he goes from New York City, Rochester University, to Iowa, he just keeps popping up and inserting himself. Here's the thing: even if it's true that Xiao was keeping her options open, which is not great because people can get hurt in the process. Even if that's the case, she does not deserve to be murdered, and he should not feel entitled that he owns this girl. Exactly. That's the part that pisses me off. Just break up with her if you think she's not being faithful to you, or you know whatever the reason is. So many murder cases happen because not to bash man, but seriously, just get a divorce, just break up, do not murder people. <laughs> I know, but I think it—you know—it does stem from that entitlement where they feel like they are owed affection or a relationship. No one owes you that. And it's very problematic. Like I can see even in this article where I don't think they're picking sides at all. They're just sort of stating what has happened and who said what. Even then. There's this part of the article where they're saying, "Oh, and then there was this guy who said that he dated Xiao, and there's that guy that says he went on a date with Xiao." And to me, that doesn't matter. I know. I read one 
quote from a guy who dated her and he was like, I feel bad for Lee. Still, I wouldn't have murdered her. And it's like, um, yeah, obviously you would not murder anyone for any reason. But why do you feel bad for Lee? Right, exactly. There's just way too many cases that women got killed because their male partners got upset with them over something that they should never have lost their lives. I know. To think that this was triggered by a phone call that he should have hung up and not even listened to, like he was invading her privacy, and then he interpreted it in however way he did, that's just so sad. To all of our listeners, thank you for all of your support so far. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at a devil's tale. Please say hi in the comment section and feel free to DM us. If you have any feedback and story requests, you can email us at a devil's tale at gmail.com. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe if you have enjoyed all the stories so far. Thank you so much for tuning in again, and we will see you next time.